your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, we're going to talk today about difficult children and raising difficult children. And this is something that's just crazy because uh, it's always very hard, uh, especially as a therapist, as a doctor, to uh, see a child and try to differentiate whether or not the child has some kind of mental disorder or the child is just behaving badly. Um, and so this show, what we're going to do is kind of break it out. We're going to also develop uh, ideas as far as discipline, uh, ways to structure their lives, ways to make your life easier because living with a difficult child can drive you absolutely crazy. And I can tell you because I've got two of them. All right. So, you know, some children are hardwired to disturb the peace at home, at school, but their, you know, unusual energy really can take their life later on to a, a really good place. You know, why are some kids difficult? Well, there's always the 30% of our population that's ADHD, and that is a hunter, uh, basically, that fades uh, once they lose their, their physicality and as they get into their teen years. So that, that gene just wanes away, that ADHD gene. They, st- they still uh, have some distractions. They still have some issues. But, uh, you know, the ADHD itself, the diagnosis can go away. You know, a creative uh, personality is another thing that can create a very uh, a difficult uh, kid, uh, sensitive nature, oppositional defiance, uh, a learning disability, a mood disorder, um, maybe just some subclinical phenomenon. You know, naming a problem, though, uh, can be good for clarity and anxiety relief, but it, the diagnosis is less important than customizing a remedy for each child and family because these kids, once you label them with something, they become that label rather than who they are. You know, uh, disruptive, demanding children can become really fantastic contributors later in life. You know, a troublemaker uh, may become a, a CEO. You know, a big personality might become a, a media uh, person or a, a tearful person might become a missionary, you know, a recluse may become an artist. Some people are not that social because they have a richer inner imagination. So if your child hibernates all weekend, maybe you do not have to worry as much as you think. Some kids are too social in the eyes of their parents, but the stimulation they get from carousing may be the source of great success in the future. So unless there's an underlying illness writing out the calls that, you know, your, 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 the principles make, you may want to take into consideration a few things that might help you uh, conceive of your child in a different way and, and paint them in a different light. You know, be honest with yourself about who your child really is, even if you cannot exactly figure out where they came from. You know, accept that your personality and theirs may not have a natural harmony, and that happens all the time amongst kids and parents, and that's okay. Love does not require that, uh, that symbosis or sameness. There can be a distance between you and your child, and that does happen. Yeah, also, some things you might want to do is explore supports for their strengths 
you know, if they need to get revved up, maybe a calm friend is a good thing. You know, maybe that'll bring them down and bring out the best in them. Also, support can come in the form of opposite influence. So, communicate about how it's going. Listen to what your child says. Observe where there is a spike in emotion. This will give you a clue to the the deal that's going on and why your kid's behaving. Kids may not be able to articulate what's wrong because they have a very low emotional intelligence and they have a very hard time putting their emotions into words because they're not very experienced with them. That's why they go to such strong extremes because they don't understand how to express a particular emotion so it may come out as rage or anger or it may come out as totally happy but that's just because they don't know how to express that subtlety of an emotion you know the other thing is you want to really respect the differences in your child and see how to channel those differences go with their gifts and their characteristics be at peace with not doing what everyone around you is doing and help them respect, honor, and embrace their differences. And and you are the one as a parent that need to take the time to really get in tune with your child's emotions and not be defensive. Also, make your home an interesting place for your family as much as possible. You know, if you create a culture that works, strong consequences, clear rules, a place where positive things happen for meaningful conversations, cooked meals, friends coming over, this forms a base for which strong people are made, strong children are made. When you, when you form a, a home, a family that's got a lot of diversity to it and a lot of interesting things happening, you know, and it's safe. That's big. And if you have that, a child tends to want to have more friends, more people involved in their life, and their behavior begins to wane away. But if they are spending all their time with mom and dad and really not many people are interacting with them, they don't learn socially. So a lot of difficult kids are loners because the parents don't know how to mingle them with other folks. You know, when parents uh, they parents really have to understand that it's your job to find out what your child's talents are. It's also your job to understand what will stimulate them. And if you think about it, let's say a, t- a child is throwing a temper tantrum. Well, you know, you may want to hit them with another sense like music or food or something that uh, even water, you know, something that's tactile, something that changes their focus. And if you can do that, sometimes these temper tantrums die down very quickly. You know, um, difficult children aren't difficult because they're bad, but it's because there may be something wrong with them. You know, difficult children are difficult because they can't regulate themselves very well. Their mood gets easily thrown and they have great difficulty recovering and bouncing back. So it's critical that parents of children know how to navigate the difficult child so that they thrive emotionally as much as possible and you have the best possible relationship with them so that if you feel connected, accepted, and they feel loved. You know, uh, parents of difficult children need to find a way to make sense of the difficult child in order to be able to nurture them. You know, it's one thing a parent has to do internally is mourn the loss of the ideal of the child that they thought they were going to have. If you have a difficult child, give yourself permission to feel sad, frustrated that you have a child who's often extremely challenging. Uh, 
There are individuals who may deny or resist the proposal that there is such a thing as a difficult child, but I can assure you that parents with difficult children know exactly what I'm talking about. To be clear, I see difficult children as one who has intense anger issues, frequent negative mood, drastic uh, shifting moods, aggressive behavior, ongoing interpersonal conflicts with their siblings, their peers. You know, the good news about that is that the difficult kid doesn't usually stay difficult forever, provided their parents intervene in a boundaried and nurturing manner. But until that point, the child emotionally matures, parents need to mourn the loss that their experience parenting is more difficult than a lot of others. And a lot of people that raise difficult kids have a tendency to look around and go, wow, I wish I had that one or I wish I didn't have this. They realize the burden that they carry when they have an emotional child that is difficult. You know, but you got to put that away and face reality. So make sure you also have a social life. If you're a parent of a difficult child, you want to have a social life outside of your home. Even with, when it's not convenient or you're too tired to be social, you need to get out of the house and socialize with other people. So getting out, meeting your own personal needs of affiliation with other adults is really important for your health and your ability to return to your child so that you become energized and are able to re-navigate that relationship. You know, see, the hard part of having a difficult kid is that the child's emotional needs sometimes feel bottomless. So no matter how hard you try, they still feel unhappy or they feel you're not doing enough. And so you have to feed yourself so that you can deal with that. And you have to accept that and not fight the fact that they always look for more. Uh, once again, these kids, are, they want stimulation. They just, they need it. Also, you want to watch out for the do and undoing. You know, most parents do the best they can, but occasionally, you know, we miss the mark. So, you do a lot of right things. So, you have to accept that being a parent is not a perfectionistic uh, thing. It's a thing where you have to be able to land and be satisfied with good enough because that's about all you can do when you're raising a kid. You know, uh, you have to look at the percent and go, you know, 95% of the time I do really well with my decision making. And, and so, what we have to understand is when we have a, 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 um, a kid that is difficult, we have to accept the fact that we have to develop patience and maturity. And we have to be able to focus with empathy on their needs. And that doesn't mean we get sucked in because there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. You know, sympathy is very simple. Uh, someone jumps off the cliff, you jump off with them, you land at the bottom and you both start arguing because you both broke your legs and there's nothing you could do about it. And so basically... Most people want sympathy because they think that's going to comfort them to have somebody else as miserable as they are. So when you have empathy, the person jumps off the cliff, you stay at the top of the mountain, and you look down and say, hey, when you're ready, I'll be glad to throw you a rope. I'm, it sucks for you, you're down there. That's empathy. It, it means that you don't join the problem, you stay away from the problem, and you offer options. And that is huge for parenting difficult children. So what, you know, let's look at mental disorder versus behavior. So what is a behavior disorder? A behavior disorder is a, a, where there is a, uh, 
substance-related disorder. Uh, there is a person suffering from a disorder that makes conscious decisions to use a substance. Or another example of a behavior disorder is a de- de- uh, eating disorder, says as anorexia nervosa. Um, so behavior disorders are just general things. Uh, they could be difficult. They could have a difficult time learning. They could have some type of learning disability. There's all kinds of ways uh, to view a childhood behavior disorder. But there, if it's not a behavior disorder, it's likely a mental disorder. So we have to look at heritability of behavior disorders because a lot of these behavior disorders that I'm going to talk about are inherited. Uh, bipolar there's an 85% chance that that if you have a bipolar child that that is in your family. So if you have somebody with a bipolar disorder, there's a good chance that there's going to be another bipolar disorder, 85% chance in the the near uh, future of the kids that come from those folks that breed with that disorder. Schizophrenia is 81%. If it's in the family, there's an 81% chance it's going to come back. Alzheimer's, 75% chance. Cocaine use, 72%. Anorexia nervosa, 60%. Alcohol dependence is 56%. Uh, uh, Sedative use disorder, 51%. Cannabis, 48%. If they have panic disorders, there's a 43%. It'll show up in the family. Uh, Stimulant use disorders, 40%. Major depressive disorder, 37%. Or a generalized anxiety disorder is 28%. Now, um, that that becomes that comes from a study from the psychiatric diseases versus behavioral disorders and degree of genetic influence. So, you know, we have to look at the fact. It's amazing that alcohol dependence is at 56%, but bipolar is at 85%. Schizophrenia, 81%. So, you know, while a non-behavior disorder is at the top of the list, many behavior disorders are heritable other than uh, non-behavior disorders. So, you know, childhood behavior disorder are often seen specifically in kids. While, uh, while a child may act out from time to time, behavior disorders in children are diagnosed when the conduct becomes extreme. So let's look at oppositional defiance. Uh, you know... Oppositional defiance is angry, irritable mood, often loses their temper, often touchy, easily annoyed, often angry and resentful. Uh, they have an argumentative and a defiant behavior. They, they argue, argue with authority figures or with other adults. Uh, they actively defy or refuse to comply with requests from authority figures. They often deliberately annoy other people and they often blame others for their mistakes and their poor behavior. They're also vindictive. And they have a very spiteful uh, at least twice in the last six months. So that, that defines basically uh, oppositional defiant. Now, if you look at a conduct disorder, a conduct disorder is uh, the next thing before an antisocial personality, which is what a lot of people that go to prison as adults have. But a conduct disorder is considered to be one of the most difficult uh, disorders to treat in children, and it involves many troubling behaviors, such as oppositional defiant, as well as lying and stealing. So a conduct disorder is basically aggression in people and animals. They often bully, threaten, intimidate other people. They intimidate, uh, they initiate physical fights. They've used a weapon that can cause serious physical harm. And once again, I'm just outlying what a, a conduct disorder is. 
uh, they also been physically cruel to people and to animals. They've stolen while confronting a victim. They have forced someone into sexual activity. Destruction of property is another thing that they love to do as a conduct disorder. They deliberately engage in fire setting with the intention of causing serious damage. They dis- deliberately destroy other people's property. They also are deceitful. Um, they've broken into someone's house, building, car. They lie about obtaining goods, favors to avoid obligations. They, they've stolen items that are non-trivial without confronting the victim. Uh, they also are very serious rule violators. Often they stay out at night despite uh, their parents saying you can't do that. And that usually in a conduct disorder begins before 13. And they, they often run away. Or they spend uh, overnight at some other child's house or some other place's home, a surrogate home or whatever, without getting their parents. They're often uh, truant from school beginning before 13 years old. And I can tell you that police, when they're we're going down the streets and they see a 13-year-old that's not in school, that tells them they're going to see that person likely a whole lot in the near future. So uh, also, this disturbance in behavior may cause clinical significant impairments such as social, academic, occupational functioning. And if they're 18 or over, they're considered to be an antisocial personality. So what we just talked about is a conduct disorder. So how do we define a uh, difficult child? You know, um, it's very, you, you really have to get a sense for what is the difference between a difficult kid and a kid that is Uh, uh, diagnosed with something like oppositional defiance or conduct disorder. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come into defining this. We're also going to develop strategies and how to work with a difficult child or a child with these various disorders that we've talked about. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back. Okay, we're talking about raising a difficult child, and we're also going to talk about raising a difficult teenager as far as dealing with them, because a lot of kids may be fine uh, when they're younger, but all of a sudden they become a hell raiser when they're teenagers. So, you know, whenever I hear people talk about a difficult child, I, I, I wonder what is going on in that family. You know, kids react to their world and their feelings with behavior without understanding the big picture. You know, this is why we need parents to explain, to teach, to guide, to help them understand. And, and of course, you know, everybody knows that. But I, I believe there's a, a piece of parenting that some don't understand. And that's the power of empathy. You know, you've got to understand that the narcissistic parenting is the lack of empathy and the inability to give unconditional love. You know, narcissists do not tune in to the emotional world of their child. Therefore, they're not in touch with the day-to-day feelings of their kids. Narcissists worry more about what the child does rather than who the child is and they see their child's behavior as a reflection of them so narcissists also are not in touch with their own feelings and therefore project those feelings onto the child and this leaves a kid in a state of wonderment and a state of confusion like what did I do you know it's my fault my parent is unhappy why can't my parent love me You know, while broken bones, belt spankings, and other physical abusive acts may be easier to detect, we have to look at and give credence to the idea that the damage caused by emotional and psychological abuse of children as well as neglect. So, you know, I've worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of adult children of narcissistic parents, and and the most haunting effect described from childhood is a constant feeling of being not good enough and unlovable. You know, where does this come from? Well, it comes from trying to please the parent or make the parent love them, but to no avail. It's about running to the well and finding to, to it void and empty over and over. You know, narcissistic parents cannot give what they don't have. It's like they have a, 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 a new bike and it looks really cool on the outside, but they have no clue how to ride it. You know, it confuses a poor kid watching and hoping for anticipating that their parent is going to love them. You know, parenting is not about food, clothes, and a roof over your head. You know, you can get that at an orphanage. Parenting is tuning in to a kid's emotional welfare and caring about what they think and they feel. It's noticing who they really are and encouraging them to be their specific, authentic selves. And it's the lifelong job of guiding and nurturing and treasuring every step of the way that they have. You know, it's called permanent parenthood by some people. You know, adult children of narcissistic parents consistently say, I just want to be seen and heard. You know, the antithesis to narcissism is empathy. Parent with empathy. Tune into the emotional welfare of children and make a difference. You know, you, 
you have to have very strong concerns for your kid's emotional climate. So how do you do a parenting of a uh, difficult kid? Well, behavior modification is one of the best things you could possibly do because it allows your child to understand what rewards they get. So you want to, with behavior modification is basically very, very simple. You know, you do this, you get this. You don't do this, you get that. You know, there's negative and there's positive uh, stimulus that you want to have with the kid. But the best thing you can do with a difficult child, especially one that's about eight years old and up, is to form a contract with them. List out three to five things that you will or will not accept in their behavior. So let's say that you brush your teeth and take a bath every day, that you um, uh, clean your room, that you do your homework, that you do not talk back, uh, that you know that you ask you know you keep you you don't hit. For instance, these are things that you want to outline, the things that are consistent in your child's behavior that you're trying to reinforce and you're trying to also uh, get rid of. So what you do is you make a contract and you basically say if, if you do clean your room and all that stuff, you still keep, get to have your phone. If you don't clean your room, then you're going to lose it. You know, it's basically that is behavior modification in a very simple way. You know, if you're going to talk back, you're going to lose your phone. Wham! Or you're going to lose your video games. Wham. And you don't, and when you do a consequent, you do it based on the contract. So the parent is not the bad person. The contract is signed by both the parent and the child. And by the way, I have an example on my website, uh, drgbmft.com. drgbmft.com. You could look there and it's on the forms page. And, and go for a behavior contract. But there's behavior contracts all over the Internet, and you can look in there. They come in all kinds of forms. So, you know, structure is very important. You know, you have to note the difference that it makes in, uh, in children. You, you need to be very, you need to have very predictable environments with a difficult child. That means typically you, you want to create a, like a chart or where the child is supposed to be, what routines the child has to do so they know what they're supposed to do when they're in a certain place. When, at a certain time at bedtime, they need to know what they're supposed to be doing. When they wake up, they know, need to know what they're supposed to do, be doing. When they come home from school, they need to know what they're supposed to be doing. And it, the more structure you put into their life, the more they feel loved. Because with structure, that means you care. When you just let a child do whatever they want, a difficult child's going to create their own structure. And if you try to hone in on it and try to make some make structure after they've already created their own structure, they're going to rebel against you because you let them create the structure. So parents, it's so important to develop routines. It's helpful for them to understand the key concepts of responsibility. Many irresponsible children don't have consistent structure in their life. They don't have a parent that reinforces that structure. Once again, it's what behavior you're supposed to have at a certain location where you're supposed to be on any given day. You know, kids thrive on that. They thrive on it. So, you know, it's very important to recognize that you cannot... Uh, control their behavior, but you can control their consequences. So you avoid 
physical confrontations, even with very, very young children, because they will pick up and, and uh, on those behaviors and do that in their adult life. So you want to teach your children that they have choices, and it's responsible for their own consequences to their actions. And that's why I say the, the behavior contract is owned by them, not by you as a parent. So you're no longer the bad guy. The contract is the only thing you have to implement and you don't have to do it emotionally because you're not emotionally attached. It's your child's contract. And so they have to take responsibility. Um, and so that leaves you out as the parent becoming their target. You know, the best way to handle a, a difficult child, there's some strategies. First, you want to recognize that much of your child's behavior reflects their temperament. Also, you want to establish a neutral or objective emotional climate in which to deal with your kid. Try not to respond in an emotional and uh, in instinctive manner, which is unproductive. You know, if they're going to make you mad, don't go with retribution. You also don't want to take your child's uh, behavior personally. You know, their temperament is, is innate in your child and is probably not purposefully trying to be a difficult or irritating. So don't blame yourself. It's just something that's happening. And a lot of people will take a child's behavior, especially if they're throwing tantrums, and instead of living in the moment and dealing with the moment that you're in, you look at the pattern of tantrums and you don't solve the problem. You just get frustrated at the pattern. You need to solve the problem by being fully present in the moment emotionally with your child and try to understand that their intention may just be to get your attention. Their intention may be simply they're, they're, they're not feeling well. There may be a million other things involved, but you won't be able to read the situation if you're trying to attack the pattern that they've given you over a long period of time rather than trying to solve the problem that they're delivering to you in the moment. You know, fix, focus on the issues of the moment. Don't project into the future. You want to you wanna really review your expectations for your child, your preferences, and your values. Are they realistic? You know, if you think your child is always going to have a clean room, you're probably going to be one angry parent all the time. You know, if you think your kid's always going to brush their teeth, you're probably going to be a very angry parent. You know, expectations are a lot different than preferences. Expectations should be a very small amount of those. Expectations are something that we truly uh, form emotional bonds with and we reinforce them even when we do it to a very unreasonable extent oftentimes because most of the time the expectations we have are just completely unrealistic. Uh, an expectation that a room is cleaned all the time, that's crazy in a kid's life. They just don't think that way. You know, some kids are hyper-organized. If you're lucky, you got one, but the vast majority are total slobs. But, you know, a preference could be that their room was cleaned all the time, but the expectation would be they clean their room every once a week and they have no food in there. That may be an expectation. Well, guess what? There's probably going to be food in there. So what you want to do is make it a preference that they don't have food and they don't leave it behind, that they take their stuff and take it to the sink so you don't get cockroaches. Also, you want to consider your own temperament and your own behavior and how they w might also be difficult because many times difficult children have difficult parents and their parents are also m misbehaving in life. And so they pick up on these uh, emotionally unintelligent behaviors 
and they reflect those into their own life because they think that that's what adults do, so they should do it too. You know, when your kid does something right, you want to praise them and reinforce the specific uh, behaviors that you like. But you have to take a long look at yourself and go, wow, am I doing what they're doing? Because if I do what they're doing, I have to curb my own crap too. And so it's very important for you to recognize when you have bad behaviors and tell your child, I had bad behavior, I'm very sorry, I did this, and it was wrong. Okay, so we want to anticipate impending you know, high-risk situations and try to avoid or minimize them and accept the possibility that this may be a difficult time or circumstances and be prepared to make the best of it. You know, uh, yesterday I did a horrendous job of uh, managing uh, my child at the dentist because when she goes to the dentist, it drives her crazy because it, it all she does is think about pain, 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 even though the procedure they did yesterday was just pulling a, a, a baby tooth that was almost already out and taking a little spacer out. I mean, really no big deal. But to her, it was so traumatic. And we ended up uh, basically having to uh, pin her down and get it done. And that's not a good thing. But I have to tell you that, you know, she was very upset. And so it's really important. I was angry when we left because she created such a thing that she scared a lot of kids. But the deal is, is that Later on, I realized that I was being narcissistic in my behavior, worried about the dentist's office and not as much about my child. But after, you know, once I figured out that I was, you know, being traumatized too by her behavior, I realized that, you know, you got to calm down. You really have to talk to your child. You really have to hug them, empathize with them and understand how afraid they were, how afraid it was, how scary the whole thing was. And by doing that, the whole situation you know, calm down. And the relationship with my child obviously got back on track. And yes, it was a bad moment. Yes, I could have been a better, better parent. But obviously, I have to constantly be in tune with my kids' emotions and really empathize with that. It may not be convenient, but you need to go there. And the minute that that happened, she calmed down and things clicked right back into place. You know, so you want to find a way to get some relief for yourself and don't take it out on your kid. You want to schedule time apart and take advantage of that. You also, if you have to, seek professional help, even when needed, uh, from your uh, pediatrician, from a therapist, uh, anybody that understands child's behaviors, uh, because by doing that, we, we take care of ourselves. You know, also, children well-nourished and, and, and have enough sleep and the right foods do a lot better than kids that don't eat well, uh, don't sleep well, and uh, don't eat right. You know, daily, you want to give children uh, personal time, attention, and affection. You want to literally spend time with your kid. You know, I love spending time with my daughter and her homework. I love spending time with my son uh, and playing or, or, you know, going to the park or whatever we're able to do. You know, I, I love in the mornings uh, spending time with both of my kids, you know, while they're eating breakfast, watching cartoons, we're talking, whatever. It's, just, you know, the dogs around. That is really important time. You know, taking your kids to school, that time talking to them and, and hugging, loving on them, uh, you know, when they leave. You know, 
you want to take your little hyper problem child troublemaker, you want to take that, that label away from them and understand that they're an individual. And uh, you want to encourage self-awareness and co- coping strategies for your kids. You know, you have to let them know, okay, now this is when you start becoming difficult. You have to signal to them, this is when things are starting to get bad. So they understand and they're conscious of when they're doing that. Also, uh, you know, if your kid's being tough in a car, you may want to turn on some music. You know, you might may want to talk about a, a, a past memory that was wonderful. You know, think about something that happened a long time ago or give them some information to think about about a relative or something like that so they can change their rumination, their focus. You know, uh, most difficult children are what are called ruminators. They focus over and over and over on what they're not getting. So you have to take them off the track and move them to a different topic. You know, uh, tell them, you know, do, give them an act of empathy. You know, can you help me with your brother to do this, this, this? Can you help me with your aunt or your stepmom or your mom to do this, this, this? That is something that you can help get a child off the track of rumination. So, you know, if your child is overwhelmed by too many choices, you want to limit the number of choices. You know, here's two shows that you can watch. Which one do you want to choose? You also want to keep your, if you have a difficult kid, you want to keep your home calm and you want to make it predictable. Uh, If you have a loud television, music, family arguments, that will stress any kid out, but especially those with difficult temperaments. So you want to make sure kids get hands-on activity that they can play helps them use energy constructively, but you also want to make sure your home is not dis, uh, a difficult also, because if it is, you're probably going to have an even more difficult teenager on your hands. You know, also, uh, uh, you want to avoid overscheduling kids and consider a, a lesson that's a good outlet for energy more than going to a, a sit down in a concert, but something where they can get up have some stimulation, you know, so you want to go to places that have multiple levels of stimulation so that they don't uh, get focused on one sense, like a concert where they have to just sit there, but they can actually go dance or they can go do something, they can go get some popcorn, whatever. That's something that you want to do. You want to go to places that have lots of things to do, because if you force a difficult child into one single stimulation, I'll guarantee you eventually they're going to become difficult. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with some more strategies. We're also going to go more into the discipline. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. 
Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, now we're talking about difficult children and uh, strategies and working with them. You know, it's really important to create a, a safe, uh, calming place in your home where a child can relax and regain control when they're upset or overstimulated. You want to remind them of relaxing things such as uh, coping strategies, maybe a stuffed animal, a toy, music, a game, whatever, but something that's going to bring them down. The other thing you really want to understand is, and this is what I didn't do when I was talking about taking my kid to the dentist, is I did not rehearse uh, anticipated changes that were going to happen. You know, like going to the dentist, you want to act out what will happen first, second, and so on. You, you, you want to really prepare them for things where you know things are going to be likely that, they're, that you're going to blow a gasket. So they have time to really take it in and plan uh, how to overcome their fear or their emotional charge at that particular location or place. You know, you also want to uh, respect children's preferences in terms of food taste, scent, and texture. You know, it's not very productive to force a child to eat something that they don't want to eat, especially if it comes up in a few seconds later. You know, you want to really respect their diet, but that doesn't mean they, they can't eat uh, uh, healthy things. You want them to eat healthy things, but you know what you may want to do if you're trying to interject a new uh, a flavor, a new food into a child's life is have a one-bite rule that you have to eat one bite of everything on your plate. That doesn't mean you have to eat everything, but you have to eat one bite at least of the new thing that I've served. If you do that, then they will have a chance to have a better and a longer and a much more uh, uh, effective list of foods that they can eat. Also, um, the biggest thing is you want to be able to coach your kid how to have self-control. You know, every kid can be impulsive, but, but, but difficult kids, you really have to teach them to manage their feelings and express their feelings in the right way. You know, you have to be able to go 30,000 feet up of their temper tantrum, and if they're angry, they may just be tired. They, may, they just maybe had a bad thing happen at school. They maybe if they're throwing a temper tantrum at you, maybe it's not about you. But since most people are so egotistical, they, they'll take their kids yelling as, oh my God, uh, this is about me, and under, not understand that this is about them. This is something that's going on in their life, and it's important to them. And if, I, if they have to throw a temper tantrum, what you want to do is understand what emotion are they trying to get to. 
and, and by their words and by asking questions and empathizing, you can bring them down and help them recognize how to express frustration, how to express tired, how to express anger. You know, that is where a dialogue that a parent in, has to teach their child, especially one that is difficult. You want to model and you want to encourage uh, social skills such as trading, negotiating, sharing, inviting others to play, asking to enter each other kids when they're playing, offering to help other kids, asking for help, sharing play, play ideas. You know, these are things that, that you want to model for your child. You also want to pick your battles. You know, avoid these power struggles. You know, when disciplining, use clear direction, but you also have to be able to be reasonable, related, and respectful. And that means you don't want to be overreacting. You don't want to raise your voice or issue false threats or ultimatums. You want to deal with behavior problems calmly and matter of fact. And if you can't do that, take a time out before you discipline. Just let them know. I want you to go to your room and think about it. And in five minutes, I'm going to come in there and we're going to sit down and talk about what's going to happen here. Um, you know, this will help your kid gain control and develop trust in your support and guidance. If you go to really unbearable, uh, crazy behavior, you're just teaching your child that you're just as emotionally unintelligent as they are. You know, uh, and how can they look up to that? How can they feel that that is going to be uh, somebody responsible in their life and somebody that they want to listen to? You know, you want to plan ahead. So when it's impossible to anticipate how a, a kid or a teen may react to any situation, it's, it's very advisable for parents and caregivers to, to uh, determine ahead of time the best methods for dealing with a variety of emotions. So when you know that your child is predictably going to be bad, you want to be able to deal with what are the consequences, what do I need to prepare them for, and what do I need to tell them what will happen when they do that. So that they, so you can ensure how uh, their discipline is going to go in a new environment or somewhere where you know that you're going to have to deal with something bad, having them being overstimulated or whatever. You also want to be positive. Instead of continuously telling your children what the wrong things they're doing, and I hear this so many times that parents will focus on negative behaviors, you want to tell them when they did really well. You know, people need to get really good about telling people what positive things that they do because the more you do that the more they're going to want to do the positive things and that is called teaching someone emotional intelligence because by rewarding and by praising you're telling people what they do right and most people want to do right as much as they possibly can you also uh, want to set boundaries but boundaries are unemotional saying no is very simple you say no and if they repeat, you go, no means no. But if you go, no, or no, or no, 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 then what you're doing is telling them there's a yes because you're putting so much energy into saying no. So if you keep a no flat and straight, a child is going to understand that and they're going to respect it. You also, if you have a difficult kid, you want to provide a lot of physical activity. You know, they get, they, to diffuse anger, frustration, and boredom, they have to have a place to release their energy. So you want to find places where a kid can really uh, release that energy. You know, and I got to tell you about spanking because difficult kids get spanked a lot in this world. And, you know, if they're hit with an object or with a belt, that's, that's corporal punishment. And in many states, you can be arrested. That's child abuse. Spanking should never be given to a child 
unless you can do it to teach, not to hurt, to teach. When a parent spanks out of anger, what they're doing is abusing. And so you have to understand that a parent, a child needs to know why they're being spanked, number one. And that's not something you're just going to willy-nilly just decide to do and just spank them without talking to them. You know, so spanking is to teach, not to, uh, not to, to take out your anger on your child. So, so here's the deal. Moderate to heavy spanking in a, ch- uh, in a child's life has a great risk for academic dysfunction. This is from studies by the Psychological Health. Academic dysfunction, physical health, mental health problems. And and how serious is this? Well, if it's enduring and there's stress on the child, they've found that violence in the home, including excessive punishment, can change the child's immune system in a permanent way. So when the kid grows up, they are more likely to die of cancer, heart disease, uh, uh, chronic respiratory disease as a result of early stress in the home. So you really want to take a look at spanking and think more in terms of timeouts and counting one, two, three, stressing what the consequence is going to be if you get to three. You know, uh, another second point is now that you know, we know a lot about uh, physical punishment, it doesn't change behavior very well. The, the behavior usually returns. So spanking or hitting or shaking or shouting makes a child stop right now, but it also traps the parent into behaving as if it were effective. But in fact, it doesn't change anything. You know, we know now from science what is needed is to train behaviors you want. So if you want to get rid of a behavior, you could, you could do some mild punishment, maybe a brief timeout. But you wouldn't want to uh, depend on punishment to change the behavior. So a lot of people think punishment is needed every single time, and that's just not the case. Now, if you've got teenagers, uh, it all begins with negotiating because teenagers need options. You have the option to fail or you have the option to succeed. If you fail, here's what you get. If you succeed, here's what you get. So when things are calm and there's no particular crisis and no one's rolling their eyes at the other person or, or giving an obscene gesture, sit down with your kid and say, these are the things I want to be especially mindful of and careful about, and we need to talk about them. One of those is that I always want to know where you are. Also, when you don't let me know what we are going to do about that, you know, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. When, you, when you're not telling me where you're at, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have to do some kind of punishment. So I want to negotiate with you right now before it happens how we're going to handle this and, uh, and how uh, we can do this in a way that's respectful to both of us. And by doing that, what we're teaching them is an adult dialogue on behaviors that you may be having trouble with them. But you do that at a time that it's not, ha- not when it's happening or not after it's happened. But you do that at a random time out of the blue that is calm and it's a time where you can sit down with them. We, we also want things that are brief. So, you know, you, if you're going to take a privilege away, you don't want to say uh, you just lost your first year of college to your 17-year-old. You know, that's really crazy. So you want to say where there's, uh, where there's something you can't do for maybe a day or also, you know, they have to be, you want to be very careful. You don't want to take away something that might uh, be adaptive or helpful in their life. For example, time with uh, friends 
is not is not a good idea. You know, you want them to be socially positive people. So time with friends may be a very excessive. So you want to be very careful about how much time you're actually going to take away from your kid and their friends when that is something that's an adaptive feature to help them in their life. You know, we also uh, find times in which the teen isn't always rolling their eyes. So let's say breakfast and, and, uh, or maybe after school. And y- you want to you sit them down and just have a dialogue about, you know, how are we going to handle uh, you not showing up at night when you're supposed to? On, on how do you want to handle this? Because I need you to stop. By getting them buy-in and getting them to work with you, and, and on the consequences and on the solution, by getting that buy-in, you're going to have a much better chance of having a better teenager. You know, uh, also tantrums are very common among kids. So the most common kind of temper tantrum is, is a, a manipulative one where the child wants something. And so, uh, you know, it, it, what you really want to do is you want to look at what they're wanting and how they're wanting it and you want to say, hey, this is not going to happen here. And uh, when they're fly- you know, falling on the floor and they're angry or, she- or shrieking or pounding, whatever they're doing in, let's say, the grocery store line and they're throwing their temper tantrum because they want something, the best thing you could possibly do is just take them away. You take them away and let them know that we're not going to go to the grocery store anytime soon together because of this behavior. And uh, if they calm down and apologize, go back to the store, give them a chance to recover, and uh, see if they can do it again. And if they can't, then uh, you give them a consequence and let them know what that consequence is going to be before you go back to the store the second time. So, you know, these are something that you have to look at. So, as a parent, number one, you want to change your perspective. You want to be calm. You want to be flat. You want to be straight. If you want them to hear your words, don't be emotional. Don't be crazy. Be flat and straight. Also, you want to identify what your feelings are. You need to let off steam elsewhere. You need to be the sane one, not the insane one. So if they see you being crazy and being emotional and being overbearing, what they're learning is that you're just as irresponsible as they are. So they have a hard time listening to you. So take your tone down, also your body language, and be calm and be flat and be straight. And that is how you discipline, especially if you have a difficult child. Because if you have a difficult child and you join them, they're going to be 10 times worse than you are because they know how to do it better than you do. So, you know, if we acknowledge and accept our own feelings, we can start doing the work of soothing our children, understanding them, changing them, processing them, releasing them to the world. You know, our painful feelings will not uh, spill onto other people. It requires us to be mature enough to embrace the feelings that we keep uh, trying to hide. So it's our job to identify our underlying feelings of fear, inadequacy, shame, whatever the feelings are that are being triggered. And we want to do that on our own or with someone else and process it, not with our kids. So you want to pause. You want to breathe. You want to think. And you want to let go of worry and focus on what's good. But the biggest thing you want to do with a difficult kid is try to figure out what their intentions are. And that is what your dialogue with your child should always be about is what are your intentions because they may not be able to basically explain what they want. 
So take care of yourself. Decide to change. Stop, breathe. Get some space. Set, set a limit respectfully. That means set boundaries and find the right time to teach. That is the deal with the difficult child. So that's our show. Our next show is going to be What Makes People Attractive. And this is a really fun show. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, having trouble getting your child to eat? Well, tell them a unicorn dies every time they don't eat what you give them. Also, great parenting lies somewhere between don't and do that. Don't do that and ah, what the hell? Sorry, I messed that one up. Don't do that and ah, what the hell. That's where good parenting lies. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.